Good morning, church. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. If you have your Bibles, let's open those up to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 12 to the end of the chapter this morning. You might think, um, if you were here last week, you remember we discussed how the church was coming together and being very generous with all that they have. And in that, we also saw uh, some dissension within the ranks as Ananias and Sapphira decided to lie to the Holy Spirit about selling a piece of property. And uh, when they did that, and they turned it in and they said, hey, this is everything that we got from that piece of property, you would think that after they died on the spot... And that word started getting out, because I'm sure it did, right? Uh, you would think that the church would probably have hit the brakes. But we're not going to see that. To, to this morning, as we go through the rest of chapter 5, we're going to see that the church is building up steam as they go. We see power in the apostles teaching and then preaching. We see them working miracles. And we're going to see opposition as the religious leaders are trying to stop all that's going on in the church uh, to no avail. Uh, so let's pray together, and then we'll dive into our passage this morning. Father, I'm grateful for the love that you have shown us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm grateful that we can look at any of the difficulties that we face in this life, all the things that come at us, whether that be through physical ailment, whether that be through the sinful acts of others, opposition from authorities, whatever it may be, Lord, we can put our eyes on the cross. We can see how much you love us in that, and we can rest knowing that you are in complete and total control of all things. So as we get into the passage today, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would uh, rest in our hearts well the, the notion that no matter what the turmoil is, Lord, we can be open-handed with it and know that you have it under control. Lord, I ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. So we're going to start with verses 12 to 16. Follow along with me as I read that. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. As a result... They would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots so, and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a multitude came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So here we're seeing more of these miraculous acts. We're seeing more of an evangelistic teaching opportunity. And I want to remind us yet again that these miraculous acts are not the point. They're not the point of the Gospels. They're not the point of the book of Acts. Everything that we see when it comes to these miraculous events, it is God putting an exclamation point on the message of the Gospel. All right. Every one of these healings, every one of these people who are tormented by unclean spirits and who are healed from this, all of that is to point to the message that they're sharing. Right. And I mean, this is not something to turn our heads away from, though. I mean, these miraculous acts 
are going out and people are coming to faith. Like we're seeing humbled people come before the apostles, right? They're bringing their sick and they're bringing their demonically afflicted people into their presence. And because they are humble and because they see the power of God working in everything that the apostles are doing, we see that people are getting healed. They're getting healed. I mean, it doesn't say specifically that the shadow of Peter is healing people, but we're, we should expect that because it's put in there. Like, why would Dr. Luke say that people are being healed just and, and mention that people just want Peter's shadow to go across their bodies? So in the process of that, there's amazing things that are happening. You've got these people that are being healed, demonic uh, oppression is being removed and the church is going forward. Multitudes of men and women are both coming to faith through this continued work of the Holy Spirit through the Acts of the Apostles. And we see shortly after that that this is not going well for the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They are unhappy yet again. Verse 17 says, Then the high priest rose up, he and all who were with them who belonged to the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple. Tell the people all about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So the religious leaders are again filled with jealousy as the popularity of this ministry of the apostles grows. Why were they jealous? You would think with these people being the religious leaders, they should be able to see the work of God happening through the actions of these apostles. But that's not what they see. With every single person that comes to faith in Jesus... Their power and their control over the Jewish people diminishes. They're slowly losing their grip on their power. As I mentioned last week, there are probably 10,000 plus believers in the church right now. And that's 10,000 people who no longer do the bidding of the Jewish authorities. They're not going to follow the arbitrary laws that the religious leaders have set up to keep people from violating God's law. Right? We talked some about those laws when we were going through the book of Matthew. Remember, God's law stands firm no matter what. Right? Across time, across nations, God's law is firm. It never changes because the laws of God come from His nature and they come from His character and God never changes. And so the law of God never changes. But in ways that start off as an attempt to be helpful, the religious leaders begin putting up their own rules around God's law in order to keep people further and further away from breaking God's law. And when you think about it, that sounds reasonable until you realize that all of these man-made laws are expected to be followed with the same authority as God's law. And that's when we start running into problems. Right? When we start elevating man-made rules to the point of the things that God has said in His Scriptures, we have problems. And now, because of the ministry of the apostles and the other disciples, you have 10,000 plus people who are no longer submitting to those man-made rules anymore. So that's 10,000 plus people who are no longer under the religious leader's control. 
And on top of that, with every single person who is healed by the power of God through the apostles, right? Everyone that has an infirmity infirmity that's healed or demonic oppression that's healed, it shows the lack of spiritual power among the religious leaders, right? You see these men over here doing all this stuff and you look at your religious leaders and go, can you do that? And they go, no, we certainly cannot. That's right. No, you cannot. They're not healing people, right? They're not removing unclean spirits from people. And while some people, it says that some people hesitate to join up with them, many people are giving their lives to Christ. Many people are coming to faith. And in the process of that, they're submitting themselves under the apostles' authority. And so we see little bits of power slipping through the hands of the Jewish leaders. They're diminishing in their power and their authority. And so what do they do? They use that power, that what power they still have, to try to intimidate the church leaders into being quiet about their faith. The religious leaders have the apostles arrested and thrown in jail, but God just said nope to that. Right? It's like, get in the jail! And they get in the jail and God says, nope, get out of the jail! And they just get out of the jail. Just that simple. An angel of the Lord comes and opens the doors of the jail during the night and brings them out. And then the angel instruction, instructs them, go into the temple and tell the people about the life of the church. Tell them all that's going on among our people and all that we see happening among the sick and the, the afflicted and all the people that we see coming to faith in the hope of Jesus Christ. And the apostles were obedient to this command of the Lord. I love that. I love that. Think about how easily we can become deterred from sharing the gospel. I mean, what does it take for any one of us to have a gospel opportunity and things start flooding our mind and we just step aside from that possibility? I mean, think about how quickly our fear can make us mute. All right, we worry about what they're going to think. We worry about what they're going to say. And so instead of sharing the gospel, we talk about the weather, we talk about baseball, we talk about work, or whatever else comes to mind. Anything other than the offense of the gospel. Or another option that we have is we water down the gospel. Right? We talk about God, but not necessarily that Jesus is God. Not necessarily that to come before God, you must have the sacrifice of Jesus to cover your sins because you are a sinner. You don't get to live your life however you want. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. right? That's the Gospel. But to make that a little bit more palatable to people, we, we kick out the sinner part. We don't tell people about their need for a Savior. We talk about how much God loves them and how much God wants to be with them and how much God wants them in heaven with them. And I mean, if you will just make some changes in your life, you can be in the presence of God when you die. Right? God loves you so much, He just wants you to have your best life now. Right? We water the gospel down just to get people in our presence so that they don't run away at the sight of us. Right? We water down the gospel so that we can fill up the church. And yet, with that, it's lost all of its power. We get so worked up about what people might think or how they might treat us when we share the gospel with them, we go mute in fear. And we consider what it might cost us. Right? Sometimes that costs us family and friends. It might cost you a job. 
You just never know what the consequences of sharing this message would be. And yet, even after this opposition by the religious leaders, the apostles go right back to proclaiming the message of salvation through Jesus without hesitation. The apostles could have easily pushed back on this command considering it's the very thing that just landed them in jail. They could have chosen to tone down the message to make it more palatable for the religious authorities. Right? We'll do whatever it takes for you not to dislike us. They're looking, they might be looking for just a way to be left alone. But no, they don't do any of that. They don't cower in fear. They were obedient to the command of God and they went and they began teaching again in the temple as soon as the sun came up. Right? As soon as the doors were open, those people were back in the temple teaching and preaching about the glory of God. They were preaching and teaching about salvation that comes only through salvation in Christ. And I love what happens next. Look at verses 21 to 28. It says, When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the servants got there, they did not find them in the jail. And so they returned and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. I mean, that's hilarious. Right? As the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them, wondering what would come of this. Someone came and reported to them, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. <laughs> I love that. Then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. After they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin and the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. When I envision this, I see the religious leaders walking into this situation with all kinds of sinful emotions. Right? Some of them are probably walking into their meeting place with disdain for the apostles. Like they just got a sneer on their face. They're ready to get these guys. They're ready to intimidate. They're ready to strike fear. And it's just malice, straight malice. And I'm sure that many of them are walking in here with a great deal of pride, right? They puff up their own chest. They think, oh, look at the power we actually have. We threw these men in jail. There was nothing that they could do to oppose us. And so they think they're about to show the leaders of the church what real authority looks like. This is what real power is. Not that mess that y'all are doing, but we have the power to throw you in jail. And I'm sure that a certain many of them are walking into this situation with a, a growing level of fear. Now, we don't often think about that, but they have a growing level of fear as their power is threatened by the growth of the church. Like I said, with every single person that comes to faith, their power diminishes and the power of the church grows. So the emotions of these men in the Sanhedrin are likely all over the place as they convene to bring the apostles under their scrutiny. But a good deal of uh, that pride is deflated as they send for the apostles only to find out that they're not there. Like, Go get those men that we locked up. Um, sir, they're not here. What do you mean? Well, the jail is still locked. 
the guards that we put there to make sure that nobody came in or left, well, they're still there. Um, but when we opened the doors, there was no one inside the cell. I mean, can you imagine the look on these men's faces when they heard that report? Now, this is obviously a confusing scenario for everyone involved except for the apostles, right? They know what happened. They know what's going on. Everyone is baffled as to what could have happened to their prisoners, but they didn't have to wait long to figure out where they were. Someone said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Like, you are not going to thwart the hand of God, period. It doesn't matter what you do. Right? If God wants you in prison, you're going to prison. If God wants you out of prison, you're coming out of the prison. And that's all there is to it. When the authorities realize where the apostles are, they go to them and they choose to bring them in without force. That's smart because these people are growing in popularity among everyone else in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter if they are followers of Christ or not. Right? If, if you've got a doctor who is healing people with just the touch of his hands, it doesn't matter if you believe the same thing that that person believes or not. If you saw the authorities come and arrest that man and say he's going away forever and, you, and, and you've got an affirmity or know somebody that has an affirmity, you're not going to be too pleased with them roughhousing that man. And so these guys are very popular right now and they're not going to stand, the people are not going to stand them being mistreated. And so there's a real fear that the authorities could lose their lives if they handled this wrong, right? They're not walking, nobody's strutting into the temple right now, right? Nobody from the captain's guard, nobody in the Sanhedrin has a puffed chest right now. So just think about what, the, what power that gives to the apostles in this moment, all right? Now me, I have told you, I tend to be a vengeful person. Like, if somebody wrongs me, I tend to look for ways to get even and then go above and beyond. But that's not what the apostles do. I mean, think about what they could do if they simply said a rousing word to these people who are milling about, who have, you know, starry eyes about these men who are healing all these affirmities. If they said, do not let these men take us, what do you think those people would do? Right? They're going to stand up and they're going to cause a riot. But nothing happens because they chose to go with the temple police and to stand before the Sanhedrin without incident. Would you have done that? If these men had just thrown you in jail and you know that if the Sanhedrin has their way, you're going back to jail and you've got the ear of these people, are you just casually letting these people put you back under their authority? I don't know that I would. I don't know that I would. I would like to think that I have enough faith to trust in God in all of this, but they choose to go back with to the Sanhedrin without incident. And when they're there, the high priest asked, asked them, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And again, I love the response that the apostles give in verses 29 to 32. Peter and the apostles replied. So when he says that, typically that means that they all gave some sort of assent to what Peter was saying. Peter was probably the spokesperson in this moment. But he says, we must obey God rather than people. 
the God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so it is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us, those who obey him. The apostles take the opportunity to inform the Sanhedrin that they have no intention of following this order that they've now received twice that they've been given by these religious authorities. Like, I am not going to... Like, didn't we already tell you not to do that? And they're going to come back with, didn't I already tell you that I wasn't going to listen to you about this order? I mean, it's basically the same thing that said again. They inform the Sanhedrin that if it comes down between your group and God, like... I'm not bowing the knee to your group. I will do what I have been told by my Lord before I ever do anything that you people say. And they choose to honor the commands of God. And they share the gospel with them again. Right? They are definitely making it clear that they are accountable for the blood of Christ. Right? So it's like you seem intent on making us culpable for the murder of this man and they go that's because you're culpable of the murder of this man right you, you kind of are so we're not going to let you off the hook with that this is your fault this was your sin he says they say you murdered him by hanging him on a tree so yeah we're making you culpable of his murder among everyone that we teach and they also make it clear that jesus was raised back to life through the power of God and exalted at the right hand of His Father so that He might be the Savior of the Jewish people. Right? And we're going to see later in the book of Acts that this is going to blow out and this is going to spread to all people. But they're talking to Jews right now and they're talking to a Jewish authority. And so they're focused on the fact that Jesus was the Savior of Israel. In His life, death, and resurrection, there is forgiveness of sin. If only they would repent and believe. If only they would lay down that pride. If only they were not drunk with power and controlled by fear. If they could just see Jesus for who He truly was. And if they would repent of their sin, then He would be faithful to forgive their sins. So there's a couple of things before we move forward that I want us to be aware of and I want to take note of regarding this passage to this point. The first thing that believers need to be told or reminded of is that God has set up the world's authorities according to his sovereign will. Right? No one is in power that God has not allowed to come into power. And throughout the New Testament, we are told that we are expected to submit to the governing authorities that are over us as long as their laws or decrees don't contradict anything we find in Scripture. So, for example, here are a few of those passages. In Romans 13, 1 and 2, it says, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. So when we oppose the governing authorities that God has placed above us for any reason other than what they are doing comes against the Scriptures, then we are actively rebelling against God. Titus 3.1 says, Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities to obey and to be ready for every good work. 
1 Peter 2, 17. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. All right, this is going to be the same emperor that is going to kill Peter. This emperor that he is telling, Peter is telling the people to honor will be the one that hangs him upside down and crucifies him in a way that would, it would be awful doing it right side up, but he's, he has to be crucified upside down because he doesn't feel himself worthy to be killed in the same way that Jesus was killed. That's the, that's the emperor that Peter is telling them to honor. Paul is killed. Church history tells us that Paul is killed by the Roman government. Right? Because of his work for the church. And he is telling the people here to the church in Rome to submit to the authorities that God has placed above you. And then Jesus said this in Mark 12, 13 to 17. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to set a trap in his words. When they came, they said to him, Teacher, we know you are truthful and don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality, but teach the way of God truthfully. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought a coin whose image and inscription is this. He said, he asked, whose, he said whose image and inscription is this? He asked them. Caesar's, they replied. Jesus told them, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. So throughout the New Testament, we see the biblical writers consistently teaching that we must recognize the authorities that have been established by God and we must respect them. We must show them the respect of the office that they hold. Throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see many times that the disciples and the apostles are being incarcerated. And every single time they go to jail, they act above reproach in their interactions with the religious leaders. Every time. That's not to say that they don't call upon their rights within the law. All right? They do have certain rights, and they call on those rights from time to time. Paul knows his rights when it comes to being a Roman citizen, and we see that he expects those rights to be honored in Acts 16. We'll get there in a while. But when he is thrown in jail, he's beaten without being put on trial. And then when the people come in and they say, what are you doing here? And he goes, is it right for you to beat a Roman citizen? And then they start backpedaling because they did not realize that he was a Roman citizen. And they start trying to cover up their tracks. And Paul's not having it. He's like, no, no, no. You walked us in here and beat us secretly. You're going to walk us out of here publicly and inform people that we're, we're free to go. So he, he did not just push away all the rights that he had. I mean, he worked within the laws to get his rights. But he still reacted respectfully, even after being beaten by these people. They never lash out against those who have imprisoned them. So think about what we saw earlier in this passage. The authorities made it a point to bring the apostles in without force because they're afraid of the people might do if they use force. And I'm sure that this did not escape the minds of the apostles. They know the power that they have in this situation. And yet they choose not to use it because they're submitting themselves to the authority that God had placed above them. So with that in mind, we're 2,000 years removed from this time period. And the rules have not changed for us. 
The rules have not changed for us. We are still to submit to the authorities that God has sovereignly placed over us as long as that submission does not interfere with other commands of the Lord. The command to submit to our authorities don't change. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who has control over the House or the Senate. It doesn't matter who our governor is. It doesn't matter who our sheriff is. And just keep going on down the line, etc., etc. We are supposed to submit to the authorities as long as they don't require us to do something that contradicts the Word of God. So we are not ultimately submitting to President Trump or President Biden. Okay? When we offer up our submission, it's not to the president. We're not offering up our submission to Nancy Pelosi or Paul Ryan. Okay? We're not ultimately putting up our submission to Pat McCrory or Roy Cooper. That's not who we're submitting to. Ultimately, we're submitting to Christ. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And what has he commanded? To submit yourself to the ruling authorities that I have placed over you. But when something we are told does conflict with the clear teachings of Scripture, then it is our duty as Christians to respectfully reject the commands of the authorities and take whatever consequences comes with that. Right? If they come and start beating on this door and says, if you meet again, we're arresting you, then come at me, bro. Like, I'm not going to submit to that authority. If you preach the gospel again, we're dragging you out of here and we're throwing you in jail and we're going to beat you while we do it, then you got to get ready with your nightsticks, guys. Like, this is, I have been called by God to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the ruling authorities are not going to stop me from doing that. I will do it from here. I'll do it from out there. I'll do it from in jail. I'll do it on my hospital bed if I have to, depending on whatever it, God has called me to suffer for the gospel. But when it comes to obeying the authorities or obeying God, we will obey God unless... Uh, will be, obey the authorities unless it conflicts with what God says. It's as Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what belongs to God. Well, as you might expect, this didn't go over well with religious leaders. They weren't real happy with this answer. They're not happy with how this is playing out at all. You've got a group of people who are slowly losing their grip on power. And those people can often be the most dangerous type of people. Right? As they scramble to keep what they have, they can become erratic, they can become violent. And look at their response in verse 33. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Like, I find this ironic. You've got the religious leaders who are upset because they're being spoken about throughout Jerusalem as the people who murdered Jesus. So they tell the people who were saying it, you better stop saying that. Don't, put us, don't make us accountable for his death. And when they refuse to stop saying it, the religious leaders become so enraged that they want to kill the people that, they, that won't stop saying that they murdered Jesus. You stop telling people that we killed him or we're going to kill you too. I mean... Um, we're going to just kill you. Not two, because we're not responsible for that other one. I mean, 
You just want to look in the room and ask, hey, did you, did you guys see any problems with this? Any of y'all hearing what these people are saying and, and want to step out of this and step towards Christ in this moment? There was one man who kept a cool head about him during this whole exchange, and his name was uh, Gamaliel. And we don't know anything more about him other than what we see in the rest of the chapter here, but it seems as though he's at least willing to keep an open mind about what, uh, all this stuff that he sees going on in Jerusalem. Right? This is some, there's some stuff going on here, guys. And we might want to keep an open mind about it so that we don't find ourselves at odds with God. Look what it says, 34 to 42. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He said to them, men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudius rose up claiming to be somebody and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished and all his followers were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. After they called, after they called in the apostles and had them flogged, Oh, I'm sorry. They were persuaded by him. After they called in the apostles and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So what this man is saying here is that if all this stuff that's happening in Jerusalem is happening because a group of men had decided to rise up against God's people, right? Israel is God's people. So if these men are rising up against God's people and they're trying to overthrow the, the government, that's obviously going to fail, right? It's obviously going to fail because God is not going to be thwarted. And so no matter who comes against him, no matter who's rising up, you're not going to be able to accomplish it, accomplish it in your own power. It's not going to happen. But if the apostles are working in God's will, there's nothing the religious leaders are going to be able to do to stop them because they're not fighting the apostles or the church. If they're fighting against the apostles or the church, they're actually fighting against God himself. And God will not be thwarted. The text says that they were persuaded by this, so they didn't kill the apostles, but they didn't miss the opportunity to have them beaten. Right? They're trying to reestablish their dominance here, and so they beat these men, and they tell them again not to speak in the name of Jesus, but these orders are falling on deaf ears. The apostles refuse to bow down to anyone other than God, and they continue preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus, no matter what's going to happen to them. Not only do they ignore the order and they disregard the beating that they took, they immediately go away rejoicing, rejoicing that they were considered worthy by God to be treated shamefully for the cause of Christ. They rejoiced that they were considered worthy. I mean, how many of us take an opportunity to rejoice when something happens to us just errantly? And then 
when we come to the conclusion that that is happening because of our relationship with Christ is our first response to rejoice that we're considered worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus or do we immediately go into prayer and try to get that thing to go away? I mean, what do you do? Do you consider yourself as being worthy when someone opposes you for your Christian worldview? Like when they badmouth you at work or badmouth you in the neighborhood or at the sports club or you know whatever else that you do, when they talk about you as the God guy, right? Don't talk to him. You know, talk your ear off about Jesus for an hour. Oh, nobody wants to talk to him. And like, does that make you feel down? Does that make you want to push the Jesus stuff aside so that you can be a part of those people? Or do you consider yourself worthy to be put down for the cause of Jesus, for the name of Christ, right? If you get passed up at your job for promotion after promotion after promotion because you're the God guy or the God lady, right? Or you refuse to do something that the authorities have asked you to do and that costs you your job, right? I'm not going to cheat on these forms. I'm not going to lie about where that order went. I'm not going to do the things that God has told me I will not do. And they say, well, you don't work here anymore, right? Are you going to immediately begin praying about the shame and the torment and all this kind of stuff? Or are you going to walk out of that place rejoicing that you had the opportunity to suffer for the glory of the name of Jesus? Like, What is your attitude in the face of suffering? So with this passage, what we don't need to do is to come out of this looking for ways that we can navigate the rules uh, and find ways to be civilly disobedient to the ruling authorities that we have. Right? I, I mean, throughout the pandemic, I heard all, all this stuff. Like, oh, this, you know, I heard someone say that the masks were the preemptive mark of the beast and some all kinds of other crazy nonsense. Like they're oppressing churches because they won't let them open the doors and won't let them meet. Look, you're not being oppressed by the government unless the government is only oppressing you. When they shut down everything, that's not oppression. All right, that's wisdom. They're trying to keep people from dying. Okay, oppression is when they open everything back up and say, no, 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 no churches. No churches. That's still not allowed. That's oppression by the government. And that's when we begin to act out in civil disobedience. That's when they're going to have to come and drag me out of here. Right? But we're not supposed to listen to this and see, uh, oh, there's a loophole. As long as I can find a loophole that makes it that ties that back into a command of God, then I can be civilly disobedient. That's not what we're supposed to take away from this. The main idea that I want you to walk out of here with today is that we are to love Christ more than comfort. You're to love Christ more than your preferences, more than your comfort, even more than your life itself. Right? Love Jesus more. Love Jesus to the point where when you are actually oppressed in some way, which we really haven't seen in this country, not really, that you can walk out of that rejoicing for the fact that you have been called to suffer. We've got Christians all across the globe in difficult places that are su like really suffering on a daily basis because of the name of Jesus. You've got places like North Korea and Somalia, Iraq, Syria, 
Sudan, China. They're being persecuted for their faith. They're being drug out of places and killed for their faith. They're being thrown in jail for their faith. And they're walking out of, many of these are walking out of this with joy in their heart because they were considered worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And Acts 5 should be a comfort to them. It should give them great encouragement to stand strong before these oppressive authorities while at the same time submitting to them when possible. It's coming for us soon. I don't know when. But I mean, I don't know if you've been paying attention to all the stuff that's been going on in Canada where pastors are being arrested. They're being thrown in jail for having services. Right? Like, it won't take long for that to trickle down here. The question is, are you going to be ready? Are you going to be ready? And in those moments, are you going to be screaming about your rights? Are you going to be screaming about all the, you can't do that to me, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm another thing. Or are you going to be standing tall in the fact that you are created in the image of God, that you are a co-heir with Christ, and you will not bow down to the knee of the authorities? But you got to be ready. you got to be ready before the time comes. And if you're too caught up in your identity as an American, you will not stand firm in your identity in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, it is my hope that we would be people who love you and pursue you with all that we have. And as we do that, that means that we're going to grow in our faith. It means that we're going to be strong in our faith. And when we find ourselves oppressed for the work of the gospel, Lord, we will stand strong because the Holy Spirit will be the power that we need to do that. We don't have to rest in our own strength. You've already promised that when we stand before people like this, we'll have words to say given to us by the Holy Spirit. And we call on that promise today. Lord, help us to love Jesus more than our comfort. Help us to love Jesus more than our life. Help us to be found suffering well at every moment for your name. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you'll stand and join us in our last hymn for today, Great Are You, Lord. Enough.
service tonight because of Father's Day. So if you have an opportunity to celebrate with your dad, go and do that. Uh, enjoy that time together. Uh, this benediction uh, is based on Psalm 103. So as you go from here, remember this. God's love is from everlasting to everlasting, from generation to generation. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so God has compassion on those who fear him who listen to his voice and to do his will, to go out in the knowledge that the everlasting love of God goes with you. Amen.